interested in doing a poinsettia, then those who come by, just let us know, and let's pray. Lord God, as we come together, just ask your blessing on this time. And uh, Lord, uh, recognize what this time of year is about, what it, what it points us to. Uh, this book, Romans, is filled with a, a, a sense of passion around a mission that you've given to us. And Lord God, um, in the midst of that mission, help us see uh, in, our, in our own culture a battle, a war that's going on for souls. And Lord, uh, what does it mean for us to engage in that war? Sometimes it really is as simple as handing someone an invitation card and saying, I don't know about you, but this is where I'm going to be Christmas Eve. I want to invite you. Sometimes it's that simple. Sometimes not. But Lord, uh, bless this time together. We just uh, will give it to you. In Jesus' name, let's say it together. Amen. So we got started in Romans here this last week. Um, and there's two predominant themes that I'm going to keep coming back to kind of lift up for you to, to keep in your mind. When you're reading Romans, one is kind of what I call the warfare, kind of the warfare theme that, that Romans takes us into a city, Rome, that if you, if you remember this, Revelation identifies with the work of the Antichrist, right? Uh, there's this sense in which, which Rome is, is both a, a place where we as Christians are going to be at work uh, to bring the gospel. We also recognize it's a place where our enemy is at work. And there's this battle cosmically that's been going on since the beginning of time. And we're going to engage in that battle. The reason that becomes important is uh, we're going to watch Christians particularly persecuted in Rome not many years after this letter is written and delivered. Uh, we've, we we kind of talk about persecution now uh, in the Christian church. And I, and I do think that in our culture today, there's a, a, a sense in which we experience to a degree uh, a persecution. But not, not like what was going on in, in Rome where people are being uh, either removed from jobs, put into prison, or as, as persecution continues... Um, worse yet, killed, and killed in dramatic ways. Uh, so I always think of it this way. You know, if I wanted to really get your attention, um, we could put a big screen up here, and I could say to you, I want you to watch what happens when ISIS captures someone and kills them. They do it dramatically, right? Uh, they don't just shoot you or put you on an electric chair. You, you watch while they take a sword and chop a person's head off. And you talk about something that just gets into your guts and everything in you goes, whoa, that is not good. Uh, when we're in Rome, okay, um, we're in a place where persecution has gotten pretty, 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 pretty bad. As much as possible, as much as possible, that sounds coming into here pretty bad. That's <laughs> a joyful noise. It is a joyful noise. So imagine your neighbor gets taken and a stake gets stuck in the ground. And we take your neighbor and we stick him on that stake all the way through him, cover him with tar and light him on fire. And then we use him and your other neighbors as party lights because we're going to have a party. That's wrong. That's sick. 
why does this book become important? Because we're speaking into the church in Rome, and what are we going to say? There's war going on. You're going to look at the physical war, but it's worse war. The war that we're talking about isn't just about our body. Yea, they may kill my body, but they cannot kill my soul, right? It's a soul war, so prepare for that war. Second theme then in Romans becomes the theme of mission. What does it mean for the church to be in mission, in, in the culture that we're a part of. Uh, so how do, what does it mean for a peace Lutheran church or any church to say, hey, how do we, how do we effectively go to war against an, an unseen enemy that is, is, is intent at taking souls for eternity? Okay. So when Paul starts this book, and we started into it last week, he starts off pr- pretty much dramatically by putting in front of us a picture of who he is. I'm going to speak to you, church. Here's who I am in, in verse number one. We looked at it last week. I'm a servant of Jesus Christ. I've been called to be an apostle, and I've been set apart uh, for that gospel uh, to, to, to bring it to, to you. Okay. So when you hear that, Paul's not putting himself up here. In fact, he's doing just the opposite. He's putting himself down here. When he says, I'm a servant... You know, again, technically, the term in Greek is doulos. It's just a word for slave. If I came to you and I said, I'm your slave. I'd like to be your slave. I want to serve you. I'm here to hear you. I'm here to watch what your needs are. And I'm, I'm here to do that. Okay? So in the gospel, that's what Paul's saying is, I'm not an above you person. Sometimes we think of apostles like that. Well, they're, they're up here and everybody else is down here. No, they're like, we're underneath you. We're here to serve you and the calling that God has given to you. Uh, what is that calling? Well, it's, a, it's a calling to be about the gospel that, look at, look at verse number two, concerns his son. Our calling is to be about a gospel that concerns his son. I always like this word because the, the actual term here, concerns, literally if you translate it into English, it means in circles. We're here to be about the work of the gospel that encircles Jesus Christ. Okay? So if you think about it, we're going to take this gospel and we're going to look at the culture around us and we're going to look at it every which way we can. I'm going to encircle it. Everything I see ultimately what does it have to do with who Jesus Christ is? I'm going to walk around that circle. So our mission is about Jesus Christ. A lot of people miss these next words, but they're important. Who was descended from David according to the flesh, declared to be the Son of God in power, according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. Okay? So we're going to, we're going to encircle Jesus Christ, but, but pay attention to who he is. He is from the seed of David. That makes him what? A human being. A man. Declared by the power of the Holy Spirit through his resurrection to be the divine son of God. He is a God-man. Right? Why is that important? Think about this. If God is never a man, then you and I, honestly, are still stuck in our sins. Because the payment for sin is required to be, to be executed upon an Adam, a man, right? And so um, 
when you look at history and you look at, at where theology gets off course, theology gets off course every time we try to, to take Jesus Christ and reduce him, uh, to, to, or not reduce him, uh, lift him up to being something that's other than a man. So some of the great hist- uh, heresies of history uh, are where people will say, well, Jesus Christ, when he came on earth, he appeared to be a man. He looked like a man, I mean, he, but he wasn't really. He was a man, but inside of him was, was this divine God. He was never truly a man. No, he's truly a man in every respect and has to be flesh and blood like you and I in order for salvation to take place. It's, it's one of the requirements of the Messiah. But he's also a God-man in power resurrected. What is it that? What is it that we're going to be talking about? Not just not just a man ruler, but a divine ruler uh, who's able to rescue us from death itself. Um, so through through him, through that that man God, we've received both grace and apostleship. What we do, we do under grace. Um, to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong uh, to Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stop here for a minute because this is important. Okay, R- Romans is not that easy to read. And so you really have to kind of pay attention to the flow that, that Paul's giving us here. We're going to talk about Jesus Christ. Through him, we've received grace. We don't deserve to be apostles. To bring the gospel to, to who? To you here in Rome, but through you to the rest of the world. Now here's where, I, here's where I don't want you to get caught. Look at these words. We have received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. So just stop right there. Read it one more time through whom we receive grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations. What am I saying to you? If I'm speaking those words to you, what am I saying to you? You've received grace, right? And apostleship. Paul's talking about himself now. To bring about the obedience of faith through his name for the sake of what? His name among all the nations. Can you kind of put that into words that, that I can understand? What I'm saying to you really basically is, if I do my job, if I bring the gospel to you, it's not so that you can just have it, but it's so that through that gospel, the rest of the world can have it. Right? Can you see that? Now, here's, here's, a, here's a phrase that you can get tri- tripped up upon, okay? To bring about obedience of faith. I want you to be obedient to the faith, right? What is the faith? The faith's calling you into mission for the sake of his name for the rest of the nations, okay? Here's, here's this term obedience, and we're going to come back to this several times throughout the study in, in Romans because you can, you can misunderstand it. People will read these words and they feel like Paul is saying, okay, you people need to be obedient. You need to be obedient because the rest of the world is depending upon it. And so God is calling you to be obedient to his calling to go into mission. 
and serve the rest of the world. Here's what's interesting to me. You ever done a study of this term obedience? And, and, and I will tell you that most of the evangelical world that we live in today is very obedience-focused. Okay? So what is it that makes Lutherans different? I get this all the time. People will say to me, well, I'll tell you what makes Lutherans different is we, we have a different view of baptism and the Lord's Supper. I'm like, ah, oh, that's true. That's typically true. But that's not, that's not it. Pastor, I have this book. It's written by an evangelical. But I know uh, there's a few differences in there, baptism, Lord's Supper. But it's pretty much the same as Lutherans. I'm like, no, it's not. Like, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, it is. Hey, I listened to this guy, this pastor on the radio. I got this podcast person. I, I really like him a lot. And uh, they sound pretty much the same thing as Lutherans. No, they don't. Oh, yeah, they do. No, they don't. Here's why not. In the world of theology today, you have right three dominant systematic views of who God is and what it means to serve him. Catholics. It's a big part of our world today. Huge part of our world. What does the system say? The system says you came into the world kind of broken. And so what, what's going to have to happen is in order for you to get right with God, you're going to have to get grace from our church. Because that's where you get it, is in the church. And if you get grace, that grace is going to help you cooperatively work with God towards restoring your relationship with God. This is why Catholicism is very heavy upon do what you do. You sinned. You need to do penance. Okay? Um, you, you, you obviously sinned. You need to go to confession. You, here's what you need to do. Got that? Well, why do I do it? Because I get grace. And if I get enough grace, I work with God and I can work out and achieve my salvation. That's Catholic theology. Right? Is it different than Lutherans? Heck yeah. I mean, Luther is the guy who came along and went, whoa, whoa, whoa. Wait a minute. We can't work cooperatively with God. Well, why not? Because we're born dead in our sins. Have you ever seen a dead person work together with someone? I haven't. You know what? They're a pain in the butt. You've got to put them in a casket, and they start popping up, and you've got to smack them down there and like that. I mean, they don't work with you, right? They're dead. This is what Luther said. Like, so you can't, don't tell me I've got to work with God to achieve my salvation. I can't do it. That's, that's Catholicism. Over here is evangelicalism. Evangelicalism always, remember this, always starts with a picture of a great big throne. And it says this, God is sitting on that throne. And he wants your life to become obedient to him. There's our word. You'd better. You need to. You should. God is calling you to. That's how a lot of people read this. Paul stepping into Rome. You people need to be obedient to God so that the rest of the world can hear his name. He's on the throne. You must obey him. Okay? That theology is prominent in America today. It, it fills up. Radio casts, podcasts, books, all of it. It sits under there calling me, Luke, are you doing enough? Have you given enough? Are you trying hard enough? Are you being enough? You just need to try harder. It's my, it's, it's, it's my conversations back in Lincoln with, you guys remember Ron, Ron, Ron Brown, the coach. And every time I'd walk into, into uh, um, 
where I where I'd work out there, Ron would be doing these arm circles like that, and I'd be like, "Holy cow, that guy's arm's gonna fall off." And we'd get into conversations. And one day, I actually said this to Ron Brown. I said, "You're miserable, not because of this, but because I said you're miserable. You, you've got the law like sitting on top of you, like you can never do enough." And and he is so passionate. That guy's so passionate. I gotta get this done. I gotta get that done. I'm like, you're gonna be miserable. You can never do enough. And that's, by the way, not what obedience means. It's not? No. Lutherans sit here in the middle, and they're like, wait a minute. You can't work together with God. God works through you, right? And guess what? You'll never be obedient enough. It's not going to happen. And guess what? It's why we need grace. It's why Paul is saying, we've received grace and apostleship. It'd be like me saying, yeah, I've been called here to be a pastor. I'm going to fail you. And I, and I will, many times. Thank God for grace. Your, your grace, God's grace, because what it means is all of us engage in the calling that God has given us, and we're going to screw it up, mess it up, sometimes even get in God's way. But God says, you know what? I'm using you. It's okay. It's all right. You're covered by, by me, by my, my blood. So what's this obedience thing? Why is Paul saying, covered by grace, we're going to serve God, and so I'm calling you to obedience and the faith for the sake of his name being heard amongst all the nations. Here, here's the interesting thing. If you've never studied this, this is fascinating. In Greek, the term obedience is the term hypo-akuo. Hypo-akuo. Now, the first part of that you'll recognize because every single one of you have been to the doctor and he's taken out a hypodermic needle, Right? And you, you love them. You're like, yeah, hey, I've been wanting one of those things, right? Smack me right there, right? No, we don't love them. Why is it called hypo? Because it goes under, under the skin. Hypo, under. Akuo, well, you know that word too because it's, it's the first part of our term acoustics, to hear, right? So here's the term obedience as it's meant to be heard. Obedience is what God does when he places us under the hearing of the word. Paul is going to talk about this in Romans chapter 10. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. Something happens in you as you hear the word of God. The spirit works on you. You start off the day, you open up the Bible. You start off the day, you intend to sin. You do. You don't intend to be obedient to God. You may say you do. Oh, God, I'm going to be so obedient to you today. No, you're not. Oh, yeah, I really want to be. No, you don't. No, our old man is there like, I know, I want to do what I want to do. And so what happens is you hear the word. What goes on when you hear the word? The Spirit of God comes and he's working on us. It's changing us. It's reshaping us. And so it's under the hearing of the word that God causes us. And this is significant. That God causes Luke to be obedient, to do what God wants to do. Not because I start off saying, I'm going I'm to do this, I'll do it. No. But because a word comes into me that changes me, that says, Luke, don't go that. That's a bad direction to go. Go, this, go God's direction. I go, yeah. And God's spirit takes me there. So what, what Paul is doing here is he's, he's saying to the people in Rome, listen, we've, we're under grace. We have apostleship, which is this calling that God's given us. And we're going to be calling you to come under the hearing of his word. Why? 
Well, for the sake of all nations. So that other people can come to know his name. Say it real simply. Romans is a missional book. It calls us to mission. But it does so under grace, recognizing that in order for us to do mission well, we ourselves need to be coming under what? The hearing of the word over and over and over again. I can't go do mission apart from that. I'll fail. God starts with me, changes me. And now I am able to go and be a part of other people's lives effectively, not because, not because of how great I am or how smart I am or how winsome I am, but because the Spirit's going to work through you. So what Paul is really calling, I think, the people in Rome to is to recognize that, yes, I'm going to be, God's calling you to be on a mission. And you're going to have to do that under the hearing of, of the word and under grace because you're going to need both uh, to continuously hear his word and to live under the grace that he has given to us. Right? Go to verse 7. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be hagias, saints. It's kind of fun to do this from time to time. Um, You'll take a group of people and be like, okay, take out a sheet of paper and make a list of all the saints you know. And um, if you do it with a group of kids in confirmation, they'll be like, um, St. Luke. I'm like, of course I'm a saint. Of course you got to, St. Mark, St. John. Um, the term saint here is used in a, in a broad way. It's actually the word hagias. And, and it means people who have been set apart by God. Okay. And I like to read it that way in the Bible. Every time you see the word saint, instead of just instead of thinking of someone with a halo on top of their head, just think of it this way. To all those in Rome who are loved by God and who are called to be set apart. You're set apart for God's purposes. Grace to you. Again, you're going to need it. And peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. This is his introduction to the people in Rome, it sets them on this sense of, I'm going to be on a missional course because there's a war going on for sins. I'm going to need his grace. And I'm going to need to come underneath the hearing of his word in order for me to, to be who God's calling me to be in this city, this city that is uh, filled up with, if, if you will, honestly, evil and uh, the, work of, the work of the devil. Okay? Go to verse 8, kind of begins the next section. Um, he's going to tell them, I really want to come see you face to face, but I'm just not able to yet. This is this next section, so kind of dig into it. It says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. You know, Rome, Rome is a big city in the Roman Empire. And um, what happens in Rome doesn't stay in Rome. Because it's, a tra- it's like the trade center of the world. And so um, as the church begins to, to raise up in Rome, word begins to go out, right? That, hey, the, the, the church is growing in Rome. It's becoming uh, something that God is, is using in a, in a very powerful way. And so what Paul is doing is he's affirming this church and saying, you know what, what you do here in Rome is actually... It has impact because it's going out, 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 out to uh, the rest of the world. 
And so he's affirming that amongst them. Verse 9, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. Okay. Um, God's, God's my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son. Always love this. Um, in Psalm 42, there's a, a word picture in the seventh verse that is always stuck in my head. I'll just read it to you. It says, Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All of your breakers and waves have gone over me. You ever listen to a waterfall? There's that. When Paul is describing himself here, he says, I'm, I'm thanking God your name is going out. Your work is going out amongst all the nations. And, I, and I, want, I want God to be my, my witness here. By the way, I serve him. I serve him in the spirit. I serve him in the spirit. This is Paul. And we saw that throughout the book of Acts. Paul's never saying, I want to. Never saying that. There's not one single day in all of Paul's missionary work where he gets up in the morning and says, God, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Paul begins every single day with a question mark. What do you want me to do? And a lot of people think that it's Pollyanna-ish for me to say this, or somebody might look at me like, oh, you're, you're, you're not grounded in reality. But in a very real sense, I always try to teach people the very best way to begin every single day is not with a plan, but a question mark. Now, I don't care if you have you get your calendar all written out. That's fine. But take that thing, put it down, and literally say to God, God, I don't know who you want me to meet. I don't know where you want me to go or what you want me to do. I don't know who you want me to meet. I don't know where you want me to go or what you want me to do. But God, let your spirit... Speak to my spirit. Deep calls unto deep. Your spirit, the spirit. There's communication going on. God's talking to you. If you'll listen. Here's our problem. Most of the time, we're not listening. Good thing that we're under grace because a huge number of the days of my life, I end the day and I say, God, I didn't really listen to you. I, I, I didn't. I didn't pay attention to the people you put around me. I was too busy. I, I, didn't, I didn't ask you, where am I supposed to go? I already figured it out. I didn't ask you what I'm supposed to do. I already had my plan. A lot of days of my life. We're under grace. Obedience is coming under the hearing of God. Hear this. God is a grace-filled God. Nonetheless, the most beautiful days of your life are where deep is calling into deep. That you hear the voice of God. This person over here needs you to encourage them. I don't know them. That's correct. They need you to encourage them. But I'm an introvert. Yeah, but this person needs you to encourage them. Could someone else encourage them? Luke, can you, are you listening to me? Encourage them. Hi, I don't really know you, but I was just noticing you working out over here, doing this over here. Um, 
how are things going? Complete strangers. And all of a sudden, in the middle of a day, you're talking to somebody, and you find out, guess what? This is, this is why I'm standing here. God said, stand here, encourage this person. So, um, what does that look like in your life? To actually stop and say, God, who do you want me to meet today? Where do you want me to go? There's days that you're going to end up going somewhere you really never even planned to go. Because you're hearing the Spirit of God speak to you. What do you want me to do? And, and plan on this. Sometimes what God wants you to do isn't that simple. It's not. It can actually be hard. And uh, so what Paul is saying here is, your, your name is going out among, among the world. I'm just telling you who I am. I'm a person who listens to the Spirit of God, and I go where He wants me to go. And now, here's what I've been doing. I have been, in my prayers, asking you that by God's will, I might succeed in coming to you. Has Paul wanted to come to Rome? He has. I want to get to Rome. Has he ever made it to Rome? He has not. Why? Because he's listening to the Spirit. Has the Spirit told him, go to Rome? Well, yes and no. I mean, when Paul starts this letter off, he's recognizing, I, I want to come, but I'm going to go where the Spirit tells me to go. And so he actually... He actually uses some interesting language. Kind of watch this, verse 12. He says, I want to, I want to see you, or go back to verse 11. I, I'm wanting to see you, I'm longing to see you, that I can impart some spiritual gift to strengthen you. Okay? I, I want to make you strong. That is that we may mutually be encouraged. I'm going to share some of, some of my gift with you. You share your gift with me. Both yours and mine, we are both, we're both affirmed. For, uh, I, I want you to know, brothers, that indeed I have often intended to come to you. Now look at these words. But thus far have been prevented. I've been stopped. Who stopped them? Spirit. I want to go to Rome. Spirit says, no, you're going here. Okay, I went there, now I'm ready to go to Rome. No. You're getting here. You're going to go here. I want to go here. No, you're going to go here. That's how. That's the relationship that Paul has with the Spirit. It is such that he's able to hear and come under the hearing of the word that the Spirit is speaking to him and in him. And he's simply saying to them, "I wanted to come, but the Spirit thus far has said no." And I think I know why. Take a look at this. In order that I might reap some harvest among you, as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. He's stopping me. But when I come, I believe something is going to happen. I believe that there will be a harvest reaped. And actually, the, the Greek that's used here um, would say it a little bit differently. It would read as follows, that fruit might be received in you. That fruit, fruit might be received in you. I've wanted to come to you in order that fruit might be received in you. 4 verse 14 I'm under obligation. I'm under I'm 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 literally bound. I'm literally bound under obligation um, to both Greeks and to barbarians, both the wise and to the foolish. 
Okay. So what I'm doing here is I'm being called to, to, to not come to you yet. I, when I do come, I believe there will be a harvest that will be reaped. It will be a very powerful time. Um, but my calling, the reason I haven't come, my calling is to all people, both to the Greeks and to, does your Bible say this, barbarians? Yeah. Non-Greek is what it is. Yeah. So um, and it's kind of funny because... Honestly, if you spoke to someone that was a Roman and you were talking about someone that's in a province that's either on the outskirts of Rome or, or a little beyond it, they would look down upon them. They would be like, well, they're barbarians, right? They're not educated. They're not cultured like we Romans are. And really all, all the term means is, is those who are outside of the province of, of, of Rome. Uh, both to the wise and to the foolish. What's foolish mean? Yeah. Foolishness is not, it's not intellect, it's spirit, right? A fool is someone, you know, the, the, the scripture says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. It's somebody outside of, of faith. And what he's saying is, my calling is to all of these people. And so I have to pay attention to where the spirit, spirit is going to send me. And then finally, he closes this section off by saying, so I'm eager to preach the gospel to you uh, also who are in Rome. And uh, when he says preach the gospel, uh, under this idea of I'm going to bring my spiritual gift to you, remember that Paul's a teacher. That's what Paul is. So it's not like Paul is going to go into Rome and stand up in some church and get up there and be like, hey, listen to me, uh, I'm Paul. It's really a, a matter of he's going to come into Rome. I want to be able to teach this gospel to you. I want you to share your gifts with me. We will become mutually encouraged by one another as we do that. Okay, let's stop there. I think next week is, isn't it a weird week? For me, it's Sunday, Sunday, Sunday's fun day, but I think next week is a weird week. So I don't, I don't know that we have class next week. I tend to think that we don't. Does that sound right? Because isn't it really close to Christmas time? I mean, I never know. So um, I think so. So um, we'll confirm that next week, but I think that's true. One last thought before we pray our way out of here. Don't forget, if you uh, have been praying for two tickets to uh, go see the Purdue game, your prayers have been answered, come up and see me. Let's pray. Lord God, as we uh, get ready to go out, um, help us start a day off. Where, who do you want me to meet? Where do you want me to go? Help us start a day off under grace. God, I'm going to screw up. I know I am. It's okay. We're under your grace. Help us start a day off, Lord, under the hearing of your word. Because that's what changes us. That's what causes us to be who we are and to do what we do. And so, Lord, we'll send ourselves out today just fully under the mission that you've given to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, guys.